Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony here, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. It's starting to feel a lot like spring here in the Northern Hemisphere, and it couldn't have come too soon. I want to start by saying thank you for all the questions that people have been sending in for possible podcast topics. As you may know, I've committed to choose a subject from the listener's input that I feel will appeal to the widest possible audience and focus on that in every fourth episode of the podcast. Obviously, I can't address all of them, but don't hesitate to DM or email me with your suggestions. So keep them coming. So let's get on with today's show. My guest on today's podcast is London-based hairdresser and owner of a five-strong salon group and an academy, Gina Conway. Originally from California, Gina has built up a considerable business and reputation to match in London, and she's just getting started. In today's podcast, we'll discuss balancing the demands of life that being the owner of five salons, as well as being a wife, mother, and finding time for everything else. As well as we're going to talk sustainability in salons today and customer service and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Gina Conway. Thank you very much for having me, Anthony. I'm a huge fan, as you know. Um, I've probably been stalking you and watched everything you've ever done. So it's a, an absolute pleasure to be on here with you today and hope that I have something to share that uh, is going to be a benefit to your listeners. I, I know you definitely will. <laughs> and so this is your, your turn in the hot seat. And as we were just talking, you're sat in the window on a, on a very rare sunny spring day in London. So it's, <sighs> it's a hot seat in more than, more than one. <laughs> okay. So, and I know I can assure you that you're going to have a lot of value to add to all our listeners, no matter uh, where they are. So let's just start off with, I like to get my guests to sort of introduce themselves. So uh, give us your sort of, you know, one or two minute backstory. Uh, who is Gina Conway? Right. Okay. So um, as you can tell from my American accent, um, I am uh, born and bred in California, grew up in the mountains in Lake Tahoe. And I went to work for in San Francisco for the top salon there and in which um, I really learned about the whole customer service journey and, you know, uh, alongside, you know, the sustainability and the, the whole ethical side of hairdressing way, way, way back when. Um, I have also, whilst I was there, um, I started to get into fashion and got a fashion degree which propelled me into sort of the concept of entrepreneurship. So I moved to London about 21 years ago and I started working at John Frieda and again, stayed in fashion, got to do loads of amazing shoots and shows, um, but realized quite quickly that the customer service in England was miles apart from what I was used to in San Francisco. 
And I really wanted to bring the California sunshine to London and share all of the um, amazing rituals and, you know, work with Aveda and just have my own thing where I wanted to create real team and culture. And I, and I really just wanted to create a place where people wanted to want to come to work. That was my top aim. Okay, good, good. All right. Well, we can dig in there. Now, uh, there is no shortage of Brits that go in the other direction, that they go from the UK to California. You know, every time I go out there, there's, there's loads of them. Um, and they're very happy there. Uh, so I'm intrigued. What led a Californian girl to leave all that sunshine and lifestyle of, of you know, California, San Francisco, et cetera, uh, and come to London? Was it love? Was well, it a cute boy with a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, always the way. Um, yeah, you know, 25 years later, three kids later, you know, he's still Prince Charming. And um, so we have, uh, I've resettled here. I love it here. I love the energy and the people and the diversity. And I'm I'm a proper London girl now. Right. Okay. Do you ever get back home? Yeah. Yeah. Occasionally. I mean, COVID's put the kibosh on all that, but sure. um, I'll be I'll be back there in a in a few weeks' time. So, looking forward to that. Okay. All right. What well, What do you miss most about it, California? Um, the laid back uh, attitude, actually, and the warmth of the people. And of course, the sunshine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course, the sunshine. Okay, all right. And and what about in a professional sense? You've already touched on this, but what? Because a lot of our American audience would be intrigued by your answers. Because there's not a lot of Americans that are hairdressers that have set up salon in London in the UK uh, to to give that you know reverse perspective. There's lots of Brits that are over there that have opened up salons, etc. Uh, so in a professional sense. What is the big differences that you that you find between the hairdressing industry in the UK and the hairdressing mm. industry in the US? Well, where I was, it was very career oriented and you know we had a career path and when we got stuck in to hairdressing from whatever age it was, you knew that you, you know, had had the education, you had the development, you, you know, there was just places to go where here I just thought that, and it's changed a lot, but I thought back then that people just saw hairdressing as a job. And I wanted to create something completely different where we, you know, developed people where they were better for knowing us and better for being part of the group and part of the team. And, um, and then also, I, I think the quality of hairdressing in London is exquisite. I mean, you know, it's, I'm still inspired every day. I, you know, I love what we're doing. Um, so I think, you know, in that, in terms of that, I think, you know, it was way ahead of its time and, you know, now with Instagram and everything else, you know, there's amazing hairdressers all over the world that I get to be inspired by and we all get inspired. But, um, so it's kind of like, you know, you sort of swap one and, and build it up and then you get to enjoy the, the real, you know, sort of precision haircutting and Tony Guy was really, you know, doing different things and Sassoon. And that was kind of just all back in those days that was really, you know, going on here in, in, in the UK. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, no, it's always interesting, you know, different people's uh, perception uh, about what can we learn from each other, you know, uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as an industry. You know, what can the industry here learn from the industry in the U.S.? What can the industry in the U.S. learn from here? And likewise, what can the industry in Japan, what, what can they offer you know, uh, or the industry in Australia, what can they offer? Because, you know, I'm really lucky. I get to to travel a lot, go to lots of different places and, and everywhere has different ways of doing things. And sometimes you look at them and you go, wow, you know, it's like Japan, for example, the, the rituals that they have, the experiences that they give, it's sort of very endemic in their, and their culture, the, the, the nurturing, you know, process that goes on. So yeah, I'm always, always intrigued by that. Um, on your bio, and you've already touched on this, and so thank you for sending me through your bio because I didn't know a lot of the stuff that was on there. And, and you already touched on this, that you, you have got a degree in fashion development. It also said that you've studied sculpture. It says that you've studied painting when you lived in Paris. Uh, you have also just finished a course at Condé Nast College of Fashion uh, for creative direction, and you're involved in something called the Mindful Hairdresser. And so as I was reading that stuff, I was just, I was just getting tired just reading the amount of stuff that you do. And then you've also thrown in that you've got a husband, you've got, I think you said, three kids, uh, and we haven't even spoke about your business yet, but if I was a woman listening to this, I'd be thinking, how the hell does she do all this? So, so that, that's the question. How do you balance being a businesswoman, a hairdresser, because I know you're still behind the chair, a mum, a wife, and find the time to do all these things to whatever degree you do them? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I nonstop. My brain is on overdrive constantly. Um, and I just work on a whole nother level. Like I'm constantly innovating. I'm constantly moving. Um, you know, if something's, you know, if I think I can make it better, I'll work on it. Um, I just, I guess I have lots of energy and I don't probably have enough quality time for myself, but I'm so passionate about what I do. Um, that it doesn't really feel like work still. I still wake up excited to go to work and, um, and I have an incredible team behind me. So probably what I didn't say on the bio was that, um, I have five salons and an academy. (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) You got nothing else to do with your time. Um, but, but, you know, over 20 plus years, you know, I've really, really worked to develop systems and procedures and policies, and you have to have, you know, organized people to do that stuff for you. Yeah. That's not me. I'm the creative. I'm the, you know, the engine that sort of moves everything and keeps the momentum and everybody in, inspired and, and lifted. And, um, you know, I know that, um, I've started meditating to try to bring some of my ideas to, you know, to sort of slow down a little bit. Yeah. 
And, you know, not, instead of having so many ideas, I call them my idea bombs. And my managers are like, oh, no, what is she going to throw at us next? You know, so I'm like, I'll be up in the middle of the night, you know, four o'clock in the morning, you know, writing it out and planning it all out. And then in the morning, you know, offshoots the, uh, the new idea and the new concept that we're going to create or whatever. It could be a collection or it could be a, um, you know, a new service uh, that we're going to launch or it could be. A, um, a, you know, a social media campaign or whatever. And, uh, you know, or a whole new business idea, like, you know, mindful hairdressing, you know, so all of these things kind of just come to me. And then I, and I have an amazing group of people who take these ideas and help to develop them further so that they become reality. Right. Okay. Um, th that last one you just mentioned, uh, mindful hairdresser, wh what is that? Okay. So as you, as you, as you said, I've done a lot of work in creative work that in art school and, and I've always just been really interested in the creative process and I've taught classes on how to find that and where that creative element in your body is and how to access it. And for me, it's, it's like when it's like a meditation, when you're in your zone and it is very much like meditating and you're, um, you know, you, you don't get distracted. You're just tunnel vision on what it is that's going on. And it's the same feeling you have. I know you've been a hairdresser for years. So it's that same when you're creating this haircut and shape and you just, you know, you're just quiet and you're just really enjoying it. And, and, you know, you're, you're, you're making something beautiful and it's fun and it's, you just, you're just in this incredible space. So the mindful hairdresser is um, being able to allow us as hairdressers to have that place where we can get to that and communicating that to the clientele and saying, listen, you know, would you like a mindful haircut today? Um, I know that we're going to do this big change on you. Um, I would really like, to, you know, we're such social creatures, hairdressers, mm. and it's so hard to just stop the conversation because they want to know everything and you want to ask them all, you know, kinds of questions. And we're very curious people but in order for i think the get the best guest experience happens in that in that mindful space when the hairdresser is just focusing on that haircut or color and so it's it's uh it's something i'm launching about how we go about communicating this deep creative uh space to to our clients and we'll have little AirPods that they can put in their ears so that they can listen as well and sort of have a meditative space as well. So that is a really good example of how you can take the girl out of California, but you cannot take <laughs> California out of the girl. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm going to be intrigued to find what sort of response you get from English clients when you ask them if they have mind. I get it. I totally get it. But it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. got California written all over it in a nice Yeah, you're Americans are going to love that. So. <laughs> That's my gift to you. Yeah, good. Okay. All right. Now, uh, you, you threw in there that you've got five salons and an academy. I knew about the five salons. I didn't know about the academy. So uh, God knows what else you're going to have by the time we get through this hour. Um, so, so, do you, so you own five salons? So I own three. 
Right. I own three salons in London. And during the second lockdown, um, a very good friend of mine who had Aveda salons as well, but in the southwest of England. So for the rest of your audience, that's miles away. We're not a competition at all, you know. So we would call each other and say, hey, you know, what's happening with this or how are you dealing with that? And during the lockdown, you know, I think as a community of hairdressers, we all really connected um, a lot, um, which was brilliant. Um, and I particularly connected uh, with with uh, Robin, who um, we decided well, you've got two salons. I've got three salons. We're both spending money on marketing, uh, finance manager, um, HR. You know, why don't we collaborate and condense what we're doing so that we are singing off the same hymn sheet and, you know, we have the same values. We have the same vision. Um, so it really, it worked perfectly. And so, yes, he owns his salons and I own mine, but they are all now called Gina Conway. Oh, right. Okay. Fantastic. And the Academy, is that part of one of the salons or is that a, is that a separate uh, unit? We, we have an apprenticeship program where we um, train a, a lots of Aveda salons um, in uh, hairdressing. So we've got about 20 students and that happens just in my Wimbledon salon. Right. Okay. And, and so it's not just training your own staff. It's a, it's a Correct. standalone business. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We have um, uh, both private students and um, uh, apprenticeship program right. students. Right. Okay. So um, with the five salons in total, how many staff would, would that equate to? Around a hundred. Right. Okay. So yeah, not so including the academy. Right. Okay. So big business. Um so you, you mentioned that you had been working at John Frieda when you first came to London. I think that's what you said. Uh, and then one day you decided to open a salon of your own. I'm always intrigued uh, about what was that trigger. So at, at what point did you know it was the right time to, I'm going to do this for myself? Um, it's sort of uh, I was going to open one in San Francisco before I met the cute guy. Um, so it's always kind of been on the burner, you know, again, my ideas and my, my, my brain just needed something. I've always found hairdressing easy. Like I, you know, it's very natural for me. So I'm always looking for the next challenge. Mm. And um, so that's, that's kind of, I, I went to John Friedrich's manager one day and I said, do I think I might open a salon someday? Um and what, what do you think? You know, I was just, I was kind of new and, you know, to London, I didn't know anything, you know, and uh, they said, oh, really? Okay, well, here's your P60, which is like, you know, bye-bye. <laughs> they literally walked me out the door that day. And I was like, oh, okay then, <laughs> bye. <laughs> right, so um, hence the, the, the hunt for, you know, um, something unique and different started. So my first salon was in Fulham, uh, on the Fulham road. And, um, I didn't ever want a big gaping salon cause I didn't have any clients. I didn't take anybody with me. I didn't take any, any team with me. I started out with myself, one other hairdresser and a, um, and a receptionist. Okay. And, uh, I didn't just want to be sitting there and have an empty salon. So I filled it with art. And my first salon was art gallery and hair salon. Wow. Okay. Was the art for sale or? Yeah. 
It was as well. Okay. Yeah. And it was a great way for me to have shows as well and bring people in the door. Yeah. So yeah. I have gallery openings and things like that. Right. Okay. Well, what do you wish you'd known before you opened up a business? Everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we're all so naive with our, you know, um, uh, you know, big dreams and, uh, I learned everything. Um, you know, I did have a degree in marketing, so, you know, that was able to help me a little bit, but, um, I, I wish I would have known how to create, um, you know, training plans and things like that. Cause my ambition was really to make the team bigger and better and stronger. So I've just had to learn all of that along the way and, you know, management systems I had to learn and all that stuff. So, you know, stock it is, it is a lot. Um, but I guess the way I started it with just <laughs> one hairdresser, uh, you know, the, the curve was, was slow start and then quite steep. And then, you know, what I, every guest, every time, got this the platinum service you know and and that just built my reputation so as a you know that's why I you know have such a customer service reputation in the industry is because you know I'm so so strong on um you know that customer journey that guest journey so you know I always say I give a 250 pound haircut, but I only charge 150 pounds, you know, right. so I over, I overdo it. <laughs> yeah. So, so for our American audience, hundred you charge 150 pound, that equals about $200 ballpark. Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it's, it's at the, you know, the higher end of, uh, of the price point, um, you know, uh, for, for most people. Um, so you've got one successful salon, took X amount of time to build it. Uh, Then you decided, great, you know, let's do another one. So you've gone two, you've gone three, now you've gone five. What is the key to successful expansion? I wanted to expand because I wanted my team to continue to grow. So I would have this great person who was a, you know, fantastic manager and, you know, I didn't want them to leave. So I'm like, okay, so let's open a salon. So really, um, you know, foundations would be, um, you know, structures and, 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 and that, and, and then the right people, absolutely. A hundred percent, um, is, you know, be very, very picky with whom you let into your business because they can make your reputation or break your reputation. So I wanted, I, I was so picky and I had such strong, talented people that I really wanted to watch them grow. So I wanted them to have a salon and, you know, uh, and keep going like that. Right. So are they partners in, in a, a second no, salon? No, right. they're not, they're not partners, but they're just, you know, people I care very much about. And I've had, you know, my, you know, managers for 15 years, um, you know, m- many of my team have been with me over a decade. Most right. of my team have been with me over a decade. Fantastic. Well, that says a lot in itself, doesn't it? If you've got that sort of retention, that's that's enormous. So 
going forward from here, it's not a case of you going, so that's me, I've got five and that's all it. Um, you're, you're obviously, because the jump from three to five is a very recent thing, isn't it? It's, you know, over the last yeah. year or so. Um, yeah. what, what's the plan sort of going forward with how the business would evolve? So uh, we, Robin and I are the perfect pair. Um, so he loves all that um, operations and, you know, the, the, he's also, you know, has the same vision with service and expectation and, 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 um, you know, training and development as, as I do, but I'm also the creative side as well. So, you know, we've kind of come together as like really, uh, puzzle pieces. Um, so, because we've been very successful with this, um, you know, expansion, uh, and creating this head office structure together, we thought this is such a great idea. We could help support creatives in the industry, hairdressers who are very good at what they do and would love to have an opportunity to open their own salon, but maybe have never been a manager or don't want anything big, but don't know where to start. Or, you know, there, there's all kinds of levels, or maybe you've, you've had a salon and, and it was hard you realized how hard it was and you think, oh, I just really need some structure. I need some support. So we want to help those people. And we also, because sustainability is really at my heart, we want to open sustainable salons um, under the Gina Conway brand. So franchising them um, with our head office support. So the marketing, the HR, the PR, the social media website, um, training and development academy. So all of this stuff we have, we have, and we've had for years. And so we know what we're doing and we really want to help others. Fantastic. Oh, that sounds great. Okay. Now you've just mentioned something else that you're very, you know, known for, and that is the sustainability angle. And I know you could talk about sustainability, you know, for the entire podcast. Um, uh, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, that you can and, that, you know, you would and that you're very passionate about it. And that's great. Uh, but I want to sort of focus in on a couple of points about sustainability. Um, what, what are some of the practices around sustainability that, uh, that you've put in place in your business that you would like to see other salons put in place as well, not just because it's good for their business, but because it's good for the planet. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, you're right. It is um, very close to my heart. Um, and uh, I've you know, got my whole sustainability plan and you know, it's rolled out across the salons and I've already started helping other salons work on their sustainability plan as well. So what if I were to start from scratch and I thought, oh, God, it's so overwhelming. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. Um, I would start first with banning plastics in the salon, you know, like plastic bottles, uh, water bottles. Um, you know, look at your product company. Is your product company using sustainable materials? Are they ethical? Um, you know, can you try to, you know, use, use less, uh, you know, materials that are, um, you know, going to add to your carbon footprint. So that's the first thing I would do. Um, secondly, I would, um, I would change your electricity to, um, renewable energy. I would, 
well, obviously, um, recycling. I mean, we've, we're using the Green Salon Collective, and I know there's some other great brands out there, but I just love Fry and his team are doing amazing things in um, taking the hair that we use in the salon to make hair booms and helping clean up oil spills. Um, and the foil that we use in all of our highlights that we get to now, um, it gets sold and the money goes to Haircuts for Homeless and um, food cycle which helps feed the hun hungry and um and they're just really you know constantly developing how they can um you know reuse this plastics and you know so they're just a really great company so it's all about you know how are you recycling and then another thing i would say is don't uh consider everything that you purchase do you need to purchase it is it gonna end up in landfill and when um, can you fix what you have already? You know, so um, reuse um, and uh, refuse even. So if you if you can, and and less shampooing. We're we're really cutting back on our shampooing and water because water is one of the highest. Um, the highest uh, carbon footprint that we have in the salon. So when we do two shampoos for our color, that's wasting more and more water. It's wasting more energy. That water goes down the drain and then it has to be processed as well. So that's a carbon footprint as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we really have to think holistically about all of, all of that. Yeah. And um, I could go on and on and on, but that's a whole nother yeah, yeah, no, that, I, I know it is, but there's some good takeaways there. I, I just want to make sure our audience know you you mentioned uh, Green Salon Collective, uh, yeah. which is a UK and Ireland based, um, you know, uh, company. In the US, the same thing as Green Circle. Well, it's not the same thing. It's a, the company similar. And I believe in Australia, and I'm sure someone will tell me if I've got this wrong, it's called Sustainable Salons. Uh uh, an yeah. organization there. And I know we've got listeners in many other countries and, and hopefully they have someone who also uh, helps with this because otherwise it's just, uh, you know, there, there's no way to sort of consciously recycle these things. So it's it's definitely a movement. It's something we should all be doing. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you about that, though, is the the cost of it. Do you charge a a green fee directly to the clients mm -hmm. over and above the bill, or do you build it into your pricing? Yeah, great question. We started out um, charging it, and by the second and third time, the clients were coming in, and and you know, I don't know if your audience has noticed this as well, but they're like, "Oh no, not today, thank you." <laughs> no, no, I'm not interested today. You know, they thought it was like a one-off. You know, you know, a good, a nice thing to do, but didn't realize it was part of the whole. You know infrastructure yeah. um so we have just had to um, raise our prices including that i mean with inflation and rent rises and and you know in the uk we've had um you know lots of tax rises and, and all kinds of things uh, that are just adding to the very heavy burden that we're already all carrying um uh you know so we we have had to do the the price rise and we've now included that in our prices Right. So we're now just our messaging is this is who we are. This is what we do. And, um, you know, we we also plant a tree for our guests as well. So we want to we want to we want to plant a forest. We want to have a Gina Conway forest of 100,000 trees in five years. Of course you do. Well, <laughs> yeah. OK. All right. Um, you you 
mentioned uh, product companies in there. Uh, I know that you're very heavily affiliated with Aveda. Uh, I'm, I'm heavily affiliated with Paul Mitchell. I know that they both, um, in, in different countries around the world, they do a lot of stuff to support environmental causes, et cetera. Uh, as a generalization, what should manufacturers do more of that they're not doing? Yeah. Again, great question. Um, so I don't know if you or your audience know, but I'm the UK sustainability ambassador for Aveda, um, which is my perfect role um, because I am an activist and um, I have a lot of time to talk about it and, and hopefully help the industry change. I'm not only from the industry um, hairdressers, but again, from the product company as well. So I can help put pressure on the product companies um, and the consumers to make you know smarter buying decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so to answer your question, I believe that we need to do more refillables I know so and, and have refilling stations. There's a lot of logistics around that 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 you know they, I know Aveda are struggling with because there's bacteria that get into the bottles that they you know if the client brings it back then it you know ruins their their product. So yeah. um, some people are doing it successfully, and I know that Aveda are looking into how they can roll this out um, you know on a grand scale. That's one thing, uh, you know, our, our Aveda has a take back program. So you bring in your plastic bottles and we'll, they'll, they'll pick them up and recycle them, which is great because not all products are fully recyclable. There might be like a, a little, um, you know, a little plastic bit that, you know, helps the pump work and the little things. So, you know, those things sure. they actually literally take back and, and, un, you know, unclip and then, you know, uh, put it where it needs to be. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and I just, I think also uh, supporting hairdressers more with um, messaging, you know, Aveda are doing so many amazing things for the planet and the, the people in it and their um, ethics around sourcing their products and ingredients and, and giving back to, um, you know, the, the, the people in the, you know, indigenous the countries and things like that, that, you know, they're really investing in that and nobody knows about that. So, you know, it's really about, you know, educating the hairdressers and the consumers as well about how to be a responsible citizen and how to be a responsible product manufacturer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I want to talk to you about your business, your team, because you, you just alluded to the fact before, that the majority have been with you for over 10 years. And when you've got good retention, that's good for business. It's good for, for business growth, et cetera. Um, how do you get your team as a salon owner? And I know you're still active behind the chair seeing clients. So, so how, do you, how do you get your team members to be productive? How do you build them up? How do you coach them? How do you train them in, in that side of things? Well, I, I believe that uh, having a strong culture is really, really important. Um, so, you know, from day one, from the moment they come in, we have an induction program where they learn why Gina Conway. And they, you know, hopefully uh, believe in the same values that we do. And they have the same um, 
uh, a passion for the industry. And then we just want to, you know, work with that momentum and uh, keep growing them. So I, you know, as I said, um, I, I'm still behind the chair, but because I like to lead by example, I, I won't ever ask anybody to do anything that I won't do. I'm still cleaning a toilet and, and, you know, sweeping the front and, you know, doing hair and going to shows. And, you know, I, I want, I, I, I try to show them and support them that way, but also like, you know, I follow, um, a lot of, you know, fashionista.com, whatever. And so, you know, like to this morning, for instance, I sent my team a, um, you know, what happened in, in fashion week, you know, here are the top looks. So we're, I'm always feeding them, uh, imagery podcasts, all kinds of things that can help develop them uh, alongside, you know, we have a really great education program. So, you know, we, we send them off to Aveda, we do in-house team events, we do loads of things. Yeah. Okay. You, you mentioned uh, team culture and, and I'm always asking people this because I think this is the, the essence in a lot of ways of what building a business is about. Um, and it's interesting how different people come at it. Uh, what I want to ask you is how do you create a team culture is there any you know talk to that for a minute as to, as to how you go about doing that mm. well on my way to work <laughs> you know I, I try to cleanse any kind of whatever's going on you know or stress or whatever I always come into work with a really positive energy mm-hmm. and um, I make sure that I make eye contact with everybody. I, you know, grab them, you know, we are day makers. We call ourselves day makers because we really want to make people's day. And I walk into the salon and, you know, I, I, I connect with everybody. I connect with the clients and it's really all about this whole um, positive energy in the salon. And I am very, very strict. Again, um, you know, when they, when we, people first get hired, I welcome them to our sanctuary. And I say, this is our sanctuary. These four walls are a place where you get to come. And because you get, we want you to be here. We want you to enjoy your experience here. So if you've had a bad day or a hard time or the bus driver was rude, leave that at the door. In fact, leave it down the street. I don't even want to creep it up here, you know? (laughs) So when those doors open and then they close behind you, there's just a different feeling in there. It's just really lovely. And it's just a place where people want to be. And so that is something that we're constantly fostering. Okay, that's good. I'm glad you used the word daymaker because I just Mm -hmm. interviewed uh, Mr. Daymaker, David Wagner two days ago so uh, (laughs) when you said uh, and that podcast isn't out yet but it will probably come out before your one so there's a there's a nice a nice link there I'm curious did you work for him when you were in San Francisco no no he hadn't made it to San Francisco by the time I had left um I am you know uh, you know I've 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 met Horst I've been to you know Minneapolis and I you know I'm I I I drank the tea you know so to speak um (laughs) and I fully believe that David's a day maker story has changed the lives of 
millions of people, not just hairdressers across yeah. the world. And it has changed how I, like I said, when I walk to work, you know, I am, I, I smile at the people, the, the old lady on the street. And I tell her, we look so beautiful today. And I mean it. And I, you know, I want her to, I want to make her day, you know? And so I guess that is the uh, California sunshine, yeah. you know, <laughs> rearing its little head in London. People are like, what? Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's if you're lucky. no but you know i think being a hairdresser you have to connect and be warm and lovely and lively and you know um you you know the experience people are now you could i i you know clients walk by 20 doors before they come to my salon 20 other salons they pass why do they come to my salon or your salon or, you know, the, the, the what is your point of difference? It's really important um, to know that and to, you know, if it's your warm welcome, then, you know, shout about it. You know, I, so for so long, we were keeping all these secrets of all these great things we do or stress relieving massages or American style customer service or whatever it is, you know, but really people need to know about what makes you really stand out yeah okay um as someone who's been in the industry i forget how long you said over 20 years um you don't look old enough to have been in the industry over 20 oh years. you're very cute but i've been a lot longer than that i've been <laughs> on my salon for 20 years okay. um, <laughs> so so what i wanted to ask you about then is that you have seen a constant it's constantly happening but it seems to be getting a lot more airplay these days and that is generational changes and how different generations want different things and are prepared to do different things, et cetera. Uh, so as a salon owner in, in the front line, wanting to recruit, wanting to train people, wanting to build a business, what are some of the generational changes you're seeing with today's, you know, Gen Z, the, the current new workforce, um, you know, coming into the salon industry. What, what are some of the observations you make about that? Well, I know that the younger people who are just graduating right now are really having a hard time because they missed a whole year or two of their education and they're having to build back up. So, you know, they just feel really behind. So we need to support them even more and, you know, expedite their, their education. Um, and I think that mental health probably is an issue that we are all talking about now that we never talked about when we were growing up, um, you know, and it's a thing and it's definitely a thing now, um, when everybody's jobs were online, their future is online, uh, uh, on the line. Yeah. So I think security and stability is something that if we could give them that and um, again, helping them find a career path. I know, you know, I've listened to loads of, you know, hairdressers say that, you know, people are very flighty and there nobody stays anywhere anymore. And it's true. They are, they're a lot more um, movement. There's a lot more movement than ever before, um, especially with that, that younger age. Um, but how can we find ways of, you know, giving them security, giving them, uh, uh, something to look forward to. So it's kind of like, you know, you do with your hair, your client, you'd say, we're going to create a hair plan for you so that you get them to stay for, you know, six months a year or oh, next year, let's do this. So if you can do that with your 
team, I think uh, that's one great way to help keep them longer. Okay. Um, the, the big buzzword is always flexibility. But when you talk and about you know, today's, yes. today's workforce, they demand flexibility. What, what sort of things have you implemented into your salon to create, you know, a business that, that accommodates that flexibility more? Well, uh, you know, I think flexibility is really, really important. I want, like I said, I want people to want to work there. Um, so, you know, I don't want to create an atmosphere where, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't work for them and they're, you know, they come in angry or whatever that doesn't work for them and it doesn't work for me. So, you know, uh, flexibility around hours, you know, we kind of learn, you know, trying to consider Saturdays, you know, I know there's some chat about, you know, moving off a Saturday and we've been doing that for those who are really busy happy to move you off a Saturday and give somebody who's not really busy your Saturday slot. Um, but, you know, kind of just now that people are kind of changing, you know, we've just been measuring the landscape and, you know, uh, trying to feel what, what, what the clients need and, and match that with what the hairdressers need. So around flexibility, I think really it's just kind of more about, you know, changing hours and parents, you know, we have a lot more part-time people, Mm-hmm. Um, which works. It's fine. You know, I love it. I love it because we just get a more uh, diverse group of people in there. Yeah, yeah and that's got to be a good thing. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. you, you touched on at the beginning the customer service and how important customer service uh, was to you. Um, how do you train your team when it comes to customer service? So, again, in the induction, um, you know, we... Uh, you know, we, we sit them down and, you know, we have manuals and go through everything. Again, you have to have standards. And if I'm not there, I don't do the induction. So my HR manager or the manager of the salons will do that. Um, and then, you know, going forward, they get paired with a mentor. So everybody, when they're for the first six months, has a mentor. And especially that works really well for the junior stylist. So somebody who's just graduated, they have somebody, there's always kind of somebody to help them with their service and their communication. And for me, um, you know, I, I talk a lot about uh, the consultation and communication. So that's kind of where I think, you know, the, ser- the service is going, you know, sorry, the service needs um, real handholding. Mm-hmm. And also we've developed our front of house and we no longer have receptionists that no, we fired them all. Didn't really didn't fire them, but we've, we've, we've renamed the, the, um, the, the job and the job description. And um, so that the front of house has full access to the service journey. So, you know, everybody gets a welcome ritual and the beautiful complimentary of A to T and they know exactly what they have to say. And so, you know, again, if you don't have standards and scripts in place, you know, those are things that's where you start mm-hmm. and then, you know, they get used to it and then it becomes part of the whole service journey. Yeah. So they're not called receptionists. What, what do you call them? Front of house. Front of house. Right. Okay. Good. Yeah. Okay. Um, let, let's uh, switch it up a little bit. I want to talk to you about the, the business side of things as a as a, a British salon owner who's got salons in, in London and outside of London um, and who has a, you know, a good understanding of, of the numbers side of business. Um, what, in your experience, would you suggest was a realistic profit margin that salons should be achieving uh, in business today? 
Well, like I said, you know, we've, we've all had a terrible couple of years. Um, I think, you know, in the old days, you know, you, you, you could get 19% if you were really, really clever. Um, and then maybe 10% a few years later. And then, you know, as, as the years have gone on, we've had more and more and more taxes. And, you know, so I think probably, you know, after you pay yourself, um, you'd, you'd be looking at maybe two to 5% is probably the average salon, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say a good salon would be probably 10%. Yeah, that's that sounds about you know what my observation is as well, uh, and yeah, I mean obviously the last um, you know couple of years have been chaotic uh, for a lot of businesses, mm. um, and and depending on where you are as well, because I know salons in, in the US, a lot of them have had a lot more financial support uh, than salons mm-hmm. in the UK, uh, so it does mm-hmm. vary from country to country. Because I certainly know some salons uh, stateside who have had a record year. Um, <laughs> while COVID happened. Uh, so it would be nice to be in that situation, but yeah. If um, only, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know. I, that... I also think that, I Sorry, was going to say, on. I think that salons um, um, that are owner-operated are far more profitable. Okay. So if you're in the salon yes. and you're working as, a, you know, either a stylist or the manager of the salon, but it's you who are there, then you're going to be far more profitable than a salon that's managed by a manager. You could have the best manager in the whole wide world, um, you know, but when it's seven o'clock and the client comes in and the client says, is there anybody available for a haircut? And the manager is going to say, sorry, we're closed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The owner's going to go, yeah, sure. Take a seat. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you on that. Okay. All right. Uh, what else are I going to chat to you about here? Oh, retail, retail. Um, I know that retail is a big part of your uh, business model. Um, and I'm always curious to, to, you know, find out what people think or what people are achieving uh, or and what they think they should be achieving. And obviously the retail model is, is changing like everything else. Uh, yeah. But again, from a, a percentage of total sales, what, what would you be suggesting a, a good salon should be generating from retail as a percentage of their total revenue? Yeah. So we used to be at 20% and Aveda is very good. You know, we, you know, I think Aveda salons as a whole have a, ha, always really had a, a, a good high um, benchmark and, and uh, ability to generate a good amount of income from, from that. But I think as COVID has hit, um, buying behaviors have changed. Um, you know, Amazon's taken over uh, and, you know, just a lot more people are shopping differently um, and, and probably looking after the pocketbook. And, you know, I don't know if you guys are aware, but Aveda is a higher price point in the UK than it is in the US. Okay. Um, and it is, yes, yeah, pretty, it's, you know, so it's, 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 it's considered very premium. Um, so, you know, we, we, we work with that. Um, and I think, you know, on our really good months, you know, we're doing 15%. Mm. Um, and on our less good months, I'd say, you know, 12%, but right. yeah, so, so we're somewhere between 12 and 15. It's still above industry averages from 
you know, uh, what, what, what I want to be back to 20%. Of course you do. And, and, and <laughs> Give me no those reason, days. There's no reason why you, why you can't be. Um, yeah. So no, okay. no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's not been a huge focus, um, you know, over the, you know, since, since we've been back because, you know, we're, I have a new business and we're building all the company out. So it's, you know, um, you know, retail's great and is doing some amazing things and, you know, I work with them very closely, but the, you know, we, you know, the new product, a new um, color range is really exciting. So there's a lot of, of change and yeah, we just kind of need to get our heads around structures around recommending retail. Right. Okay. Uh, when it comes to business models, we've touched on this a little bit um, in the US. I mean, I'm sure you're very aware, particularly in California, uh, but really right across the country now, there's been this tsunami of uh Independent contractors, uh, booth renters, and uh, salon suites over the last 10 years. Um, not so much in the UK, uh, but, well, not there's not so many salon suites in the UK, but they are happening, and, and it's, you know, it's got some momentum behind it, but there's very definitely a lot of self-employed hairdressers here. What, what are your thoughts about the... Uh, the changing business models, especially that sort of business unit of one, I sort of refer to it as, meaning, you know, the salon suite, the freelancer, the independent contractor, the chair renter, whatever name you're going to give them, it's about I work for myself. Yeah, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think there is uh, there's a place for that. There's space for them. Um, I I just think that... Working by yourself, how do you stay motivated? How do you stay inspired? How do you stay ahead of the game? Hairdressing changes so quickly. And, um, you know, there's, it's just like, if you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. And so I guess that worries me a little bit about people who decide to branch out on, on their own. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally get it. I branched out, you know, so, you know, I, I understand why you would want to do that. You know, you've got your own ideas and you want to explore what your options are and opportunities are. But I, I do think that um, I do think they'll probably come back into the fold at some point, you know, because they'll miss and they'll, they'll, they'll miss people. They'll miss structure. They'll miss, um, you know, uh, opportunities. And it's also, you know, they probably don't realize how much of a, a financial burden it can be because they have to, you know, pay their own taxes. And they have, you know, by the time you do all that and you pay for all your products, you're pretty much the same as you would be in a, in a, in a working salon. So mm. that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting that, that, uh, sort of boomerang effect is actually what David Wagner referred to it as that like everyone he's had people left him but there's a boomerang effect a big percentage of them come back and uh, mm. for him they've been really strong advocates for for uh, being part of a team being part of a community it's obviously it's right for some people I, I, I don't yeah. have a I don't have a negative opinion about it it's not something I'd want to do as a, as a hairdresser it's not something I'd want to 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 visit as a client, I don't think you know what I mean. Uh, depending on yeah. what, what the environment of it, of, of it was like. Yeah, um, yeah, because that's so much a part of it, isn't it? The experience. Yeah, yeah. The experience of the hairdresser. That's what we're sorry of the of the, of the guests, and that's what we're we're all about is creating 
a sanctuary that they get to come to and feel pampered and looked after. I mean, I know that you can do that on your own. Of course you can. Mm. Um, but what happens to the juniors and people who are need training and the next generation and mm. how are they getting their, you know, are they, is it, is it all of the responsibility that's going to fall to the, the teams? And then, mm. uh, you know, that's a, that's a huge financial burden as well. So, yeah. I think part of what it's doing is it's making the traditional employee-employer-based business model reassess itself and look at ways to lift their game. You were talking about it before. How can we offer more flexibility, yada, yada, yada? You know, so mm-hmm. it, it's it's forcing Definitely. some owners to, to question yeah. what is the business model. There is no point in saying when I was a boy we had to do this because no one cares. It's about looking yeah. at your business model and going, okay, how does this need to evolve? Because if it doesn't evolve, you're, you're yesterday's news, so to speak. Um, yeah. And, and the other yeah. thing about, about the salon suite thing is I, I admit that it's definitely good for some people, but not for everybody. Uh, but also you see a lot of people that have now been doing it for a while have seen it as a stepping stone to now I want to open my own salon. So it's a low cost mm-hmm. point of, in, uh, of entry uh, to get into mm-hmm. your own business. So again, that, you know, that's a valid thing. So yeah, it, it's interesting to see how the market's, you know, evolving everywhere and, and, uh, how those things are being interpreted in in different ways. Let's we're we're, we're sort of uh, coming you know towards the, the the back half of this podcast episode. I've got a a few uh, sort of quick fire questions I really want to ask you. Um, what are around you and your your personal skills uh, of success? So, what would you say was your biggest strength? Uh, I am. Uh, constantly innovating um, and improving. Um, so I, I'm an ideas person. I'm a and, and a people person. So I guess you know taking those two things together and you know the the sort of positive energy and momentum. So I'm just really all about momentum. And uh, yeah, I'd say just I just never sit still. So um, I sometimes go in the wrong direction. But um, sometimes, you know, we go in the right direction and we, you know, you have to, like I said earlier, you have to uh, move forward or you're falling backwards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes you have to go in the wrong direction to know what the right direction is. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So so what drives you? Hmm. Uh, Making the world a better place than I found it. Okay. All right. How do you, as a hairstylist and as a businesswoman, how do you stay relevant? How do you reinvent yourself? Uh, so um, I, I, I just finished this um, really cool course at Condé Nast um, uh, College of Fashion for Creative Direction. Um, and that was so inspiring. Um, I recommend it to anybody who, who does photo shoots or um, you know looks after their own brand. I think you have to research um, and uh, accept the world is changing, but you also need to um, take uh, influences from everywhere, you know, from cultures and styles and history and and put it all together and, uh, you know, come up with, you know, new innovations all the time. So I think 
I don't even know if I answered your question. No, you but have. No, it sounds an intriguing course. I mean, uh, how long was it, the Condé Nast course? Uh, it was eight weeks. Eight weeks. What, full time? No, no, I could do it online, but it was right. pretty full on. You yeah. had to do a lot of research projects and, um, and, and create collections and collaborations, but it opened my mind to how to have collaborations. And, you know, yeah. so we're just about to relaunch our art team. And so I just wanted to be sort of on the cutting edge of all that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's really helped me a lot. Yeah. If if you could go back and, and talk to the, you know, 18-year-old version of yourself uh, and give that person the one nugget of wisdom, I suppose we could say, you know, another way of asking this question is what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life? What's the most important thing? Not even necessarily hairdressing, just what is the number one lesson that you want that 18-year-old version of you to take forward in life? What would it be? She's still there. She's just shaking <laughs> Be a good human. Be a good human. Just be a good human and, and give back. You know, I think that um, I, I get more from giving than I get from taking. That's good. It's, it's always, I always think it is sometimes people think they've got to come up with something really profound that no one's ever. Sometimes it's the most obvious thing that's staring you in the face. Uh, and and uh, that's a great example of it. You know, be a be a good human. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Uh, last thing is is what is the future? Not just for Gina Conway. Uh, you know, you as a person, your brand. But what, what's the future for the industry? What do you think the industry looks like in five or ten years' time? Well, I believe that uh, you know, post COVID the the city landscapes have changed people's buying behaviors have changed uh, people are looking for not just a haircut uh, people are looking for an experience they need to escape they want to feel great with um, people working from home, you know, they want a place to go that's going to make them feel like uh, different. And yeah, I just think people are going to be buying less. I think they'll, you know, there's going to, there's going to be a huge switch to sustainable. I mean, in, in, uh, I, I believe in 10 years time, we'll all be sustainable salons because we'll have to, I think the government's going to make some very strict rules that we need to start looking at now. And uh, I also believe that in 50 years, we're all going to be vegetarians. Um, so I just think the world is going in that way. You mark my words, Anthony. Oh, I'll I see you in 50 years. I've okay? been one for 20 years, so more than that. Oh, okay. so I'm ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that as well. And I think it's important that we do look to the future and, and you know, have some clear, I mean, if the last few years have taught us anything surely it's taught us that the, the way the planet is changing and 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 that had so much momentum uh until very recently and now the world's taken their eye off it and we're looking in the other direction again and yeah. it, it's it's a problem that we've got to address but anyway we we uh need to wrap up whereabouts can people connect with you on instagram or other social media channels yeah, please. Um, uh, my Instagram is um, Gina underscore Conway underscore Aveda. 
And um, uh, my my Facebook is Gina Conway Aveda Salons. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, I will put those links on our website, growmysalonbusiness.com and in the show notes for today's podcast. If you're listening to this podcast with Gina Conway and have enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories, and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple podcast that we'd really appreciate that. So to wrap up, Gina Conway, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your insights, and uh, you know your, your view of the world and the industry with the audience today on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anthony. And, um, you know, to all your listeners, um, you know, wanted to just thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And namaste. Thank you. On that note, (laughs) thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.